Hey guys, this is Weston Brown, one of the pastors at Covenant Shreveport. Wanted to take just a moment to say thanks for listening to our sermon today. Um, and also wanted to let you know that Covenant Shreveport will be launching weekly Sunday morning worship gatherings coming up on October 6th. You can learn more about this at our website, covenantshreveport.org. Um, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. Today we are looking at what's known as the parable of the dishonest manager. It comes from Luke chapter 16, verse is 1 through 13, and we're going to pick up as we dig into what it looks like to steward our lives for the glory of God. It's not hard for me to see why Jesus felt like this was not only a topic worthy of regular consideration, but a topic directly linked to the spiritual realm. If we follow the culture of our world, our lives can easily become consumed and even controlled by money. It is easily for many people the functional God of this world. If it's what your thoughts center on, if it's what you're working hard for, if it is your reward, if it's your hope, well, that just sounds like worship to me. We are inclined to believe a gospel that money preaches, that your life would be better or that your problems would be lessened or even solved if you only had a little more. However, in Jesus's master parable, the parable of the sower, or what's sometimes known as the parable of the soils, he tells this story of a farmer that goes out to scatter seed and the seed falls on all kinds of different soils. Some of the seed falls on soil and it doesn't take root at all, but, but some of the seed falls, it says, among thorns. And, and it's like it wants to take root. But what Jesus says in Matthew 13 is that the seed that falls among the thorns, that it refers to someone who hears the word of the gospel, who hears the good news of Christ, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So, so direct bearing there on the spiritual realm. Like the gospel is being sown, it's being preached, and people are hearing it, and it has the potential to take root, but the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, the deceitfulness of mon- not just money, but, but stuff, and, and, and the desire for more, and the desire for luxury and extreme comfort, have the potential to choke out the good news of the gospel which is a truth that says that our primary hope does not exist in the temporal things of this world. Two weeks ago, we talked about counting the cost of following Jesus, which is another financial term, by the way, that comes from Jesus. And today we're going to consider the stewardship of one's life. How can we manage the money and the possessions that we have been given without becoming controlled by an endless desire for more or without inadvertently putting our hope in those things as things that can save us or even, guys, as things that can even just make our lives better. So so the parable that we just read, which we're going to get into in a minute, is presented alongside another and far better known parable of Jesus, and that is the parable of the prodigal son. Let me just recap that parable for you, even though you're probably familiar with it. The parable of the prodigal son is a story of a father and two sons, a younger son and an older son. 
younger son comes to his father and says, I want you to go ahead, even though you're not anywhere near your death, I want you to go ahead and divide up your inheritance, and I want you to give me my portion, and I'm going to leave this place, I'm going to leave your house, I'm going to go live my life. Give me what is owed to me. And, and as you probably know, the younger son goes out and he squanders this money on uh, like food and booze and prostitutes and all, like all kinds of stuff. I mean, he just lives a wild life. And, and that's why he is called the prodigal son. That word prodigal means recklessly spendthrift. He, he wasn't prodigal simply because he was wayward, which is oftentimes how people use that word. He was prodigal because he took this money that his father had given him and he just goes and he blows it all. And so... After coming to the state of extreme poverty, coming to the point where he can't even feed himself, he recognizes that even his father's servants have plenty of food to spare. And so much like the person in the story we just read, in the parable we just read of, of the dishonest servant, the younger son says, I know what I'm going to do. So he goes back to the father and he has this whole speech prepared. He says, like, I, I haven't. I haven't lived the way I should. And so, so will you receive me back into your house, but make me a servant. Just make me like one of your hired workers. So he has this whole speech prepared, as you know, and, and this is often what's hit on in this story when people preach on it. The father sees the son coming from a long way away. He goes out and he greets him. He kisses him. He puts a ring on him. They kill the fattened calf. They throw this big celebration because the son has returned. That's not the end of the story. The older brother is indignant. He's furious because his younger brother, who in his mind is a degenerate, who's, who's taken the wealth of his father and has squandered it, has suddenly come back, right? Things didn't go well for him. And so now he's kind of come back with his tail between his legs and his father is now celebrating him. And that doesn't compute to the older brother who has spent his whole life faithful and patient doing whatever the father has asked. He, he can't in his mind understand why suddenly, after everything this younger son has done, why the father would see fit to celebrate at his return. And in the story, the father says to the older son, what I have has always been yours. It's, it's always been available to you, but this, my younger son, who was lost has now been found. He's now come back to us, so why would we not celebrate him? And that's kind of where the story Ends. So often the focus of the parable of the prodigal son, it's primarily on the reckless, wayward life of the younger son and the response of the father. That's often where we center. And, and the way that the father welcomes him back and welcomes him back into the fold and even celebrates him. And that's a beautiful thing because it gives us a glimpse into the heart of God, doesn't it? Shows him that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, that the Father is always waiting to receive us into his family. He's always ready to welcome us into his family, and, and not just as a servant. He, he's, he's ready to lavish what he has on us. He, he's ready to put a ring on our finger and kill the fattened calf and throw a celebration. And this truly is the story of the gospel, is it not? The story that even though we were sinners, Christ died for us so that we might be welcomed to his table, so that we might be called beloved sons and daughters of the king. But I want to throw a, another way to look at this parable at you tonight. This parable in many ways is also about two brothers 
who each pursue their own path to abundant life, which in many ways is the same path, and for both of them, it winds up being a letdown in a sense. The wayward son, the first son, the younger son, he thinks that the abundant life is going to come from living this prodigal life. Like that this is the pathway to real life. The older brother, however, thinks that the abundant life is going to come from being disciplined, serving others with the mindset that what belongs to the father is really his. So, so what I want you to see here is, in a sense, both brothers are wayward. Both sons are entitled. They both have a give me what is mine mentality. Both think that what belongs to the father is really theirs. One asks for it up front. One is waiting patiently for the day that the father dies so that he can take it all then. And what's really happening here is both of them really want to be the father. Both of them want to be the master. Both of them want to have the resources of the father, ultimately. And it's really no different than what happened in the garden. It's really no different than what happened with Adam and Eve. This idea that God is keeping something from you. There's something that the father has that you don't get to have. And you, you need to go down your own road to find that kind of life. You need to go down your own road to find that truth or that abundance. In many ways, you and I struggle with the exact same thing that both of these sons struggled with. You and I are also entitled. You and I also struggle in thinking that there are things owed to us, that, that maybe even God owes things to us. You and I struggle with the notion that the pathway to real life that's outlined in Scripture, maybe that isn't the real path. Maybe I need to do my own thing. Maybe I need to make my own decisions. So, so what is the alternative to this way of living? I think the answer to that question is also found in several of Jesus' parables. And that is to see your life as a stewardship. It is to see all things as belonging to the Father. That, that nothing is really yours. Think about the parable of the talents. Remember the parable of the talents? A master is going away, brings three of his servants to him, and he, he like gives each of them a certain amount of money. He says, I'm going away. I want you to do something with this money. I want to, I want to see a return on it when I get back. And when the master comes back, he calls these servants to him. And two of them have invested the money, and they've seen some level of return. He's honestly not all that concerned with what the level of return is, so much as the fact that there is a return. And then you have one servant who went and buried what the master gave him, and so he's done nothing with it. He's just kind of sat on it. He said, I didn't lose anything, but I didn't gain anything either. I didn't actually see any return on what you gave me. And in that parable, the master casts him out. He says, away from me, you wicked servant. So what does it look like for us to move away from pursuing a life where we're trying to make it for ourselves, or a life of entitlement or a life where we feel like God owes things to us and move towards a life 
of stewardship. What is the alternative to this way of living? You have been entrusted, guys, with a portion of what belongs to the Father. He expects you to use it wisely for his glory, not unwisely for your glory. And therein lies the problem. Let's look at our text tonight, Luke 16. So this parable comes right after that parable of the prodigal son. And and just to recap real quick, there is a master. Master has a manager. He has a steward, as he's called in some translations. The steward is responsible for this man's wealth. He's He's responsible for investing it. He's responsible for maybe managing the household in some form or fashion. He is a white-collar worker. He's not a blue-collar worker. And it comes to the master's attention that this guy has in some way, we don't know exactly how, but in some way he's been squandering the wealth of the master. And so look at verse 3. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? The master finds out. He tells him, I'm taking the management away from you. I'm taking the stewardship away from you. And so what does he do? He decides to go and he sits down with the individual debtors that owe money to his master. And he forgives their debt. Now, much like the prodigal son, the dishonest manager, he's taken what belongs to the master. He's taken what belongs to the father and he squandered it. And and so, in many ways, just like the younger son, he's been pretending to be the master. Like he's been living this kind of life of falsehood. And in an effort to fix things, he doubles down on acting like he is the master by forgiving debt that is not his to forgive. And so he sits down with these debtors, and like this is not insignificant debt, by the way. So, So the first one owes the master some oil, but this is no small amount of oil. This is like something like 875 gallons of oil. It would have been over three years worth of pay for just an average day laborer. Um, this was a significant debt. But the next debt is a debt of wheat. And, and this wheat would have amounted to something like 10 to 12 bushels of wheat. It would have been the yield of something like 100 acres of wheat. And so this would have been more like almost a decade's worth of yearly wages for somebody. And so he sits down with these individual people and he forgives debt that is not his to forgive. And he does this because he says, what? He says, I'm not strong enough to dig, meaning I don't want to suddenly be put in this position where I'm working in the fields or I'm digging trenches. And he says, I'm too proud to beg. So, so if, if I get fired here, if I'm put out of my master's house, in his mind, these are the only two options. Either I'm going to be digging, I can't do that, or I'm going to be begging. I'm too proud to do that. So what do I do? So he goes and he forgives debt that is not his in the hope that if I give these guys a break, and it's no insignificant break, if I give these guys a break, hopefully they will welcome me into their home. And so the master learns what has happened. And and do you know what? He's actually kind of impressed. It's it's kind of interesting as you read through this. Um, And and there's some differentiation between scholars on on where this parable actually ends. 
I think it ends in the middle of verse 8. But the master in verse 8 commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. This is a word that's very similar to the word that's used in Genesis in describing the serpent that he was crafty. Right? It's kind of morally ambiguous. What does Jesus say? He says, I tell you, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So Jesus makes a distinction here between two kinds of wealth. The first is unrighteous wealth. The second is righteous wealth. And according to the parable, unrighteous wealth would be the wealth of this world, temporal, fading wealth. Your money, your possessions, your stuff, the things that you value in this world that are of this world, things that are not of heaven, things that are not of the kingdom of God, things that will ultimately pass away. This is what the parable calls unrighteous wealth, and it's in contrast to righteous wealth. And he says, I tell you, make friends for yourself. You, you have a stewardship over unrighteous wealth right now, right? You, you have a stewardship in your life over money, stuff, things, things that are fading away. He tells you, verse 9, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. I think what he's trying to say to us is, you need to use the resources that God has given you now to serve the needs of others, to be kingdom-focused, kingdom-centric, and that there are those who are recipients of your generosity, you being generous with the resources of the Father, who much like in the parable of the talents, the guys who invested their money and saw a return on their money, it, it, it's almost like he's saying the same thing here, that if you're seeking to make friends with this earthly wealth that you have a stewardship over now, there's coming a time where they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. And then it's like he gets to the real point of this. Verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, then how can someone entrust to you the true riches? So, so if you haven't taken even the things of this world, things that you may look at as blessings, if you haven't been faithful to the Father to use what you have for the good of others, for the good of human flourishing, for the good of the kingdom, if you haven't been faithful to use it for that now, and, and instead maybe like the, the dishonest manager or like the prodigal son, you've taken those things and you've instead squandered them on yourself. Use them all for your own good. Not to make friends for the glory of God. Not to, so that other people will welcome you into the eternal dwellings. Then how can you be entrusted with true riches? So do you understand the contrast here? Fading riches, true riches that are eternal and of the kingdom of God and are holy. If you're not willing to be faithful with a little how can you be expected to be faithful with a lot? And he goes on to say, and if you've not been faithful 
in that which is another's. Who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says, here's the point. So how do we become faithful with this unrighteous wealth, this temporal money, possession stuff? Well, we have to begin with our hearts. The solution is not to simply become more generous. It's not, it's not simply I need to start doing more things and somehow maybe by me doing things, that's going to work its way into my heart. No, we need a change of heart. The moral of the story isn't just for you to act differently or to modify your behavior. We need to be changed from the inside out. The lesson of the story is this. You have to serve God. If you're serving anything else, then all of this is going to be out of whack. If you're serving this world or the culture or if you're serving money or if you're a slave to the things that you think you want, if you're serving yourself, then what are you going to do with the wealth that you have? What are you going to do with the resources that you have? And you guys may struggle with the word wealth. You may be sitting there going, I don't feel all that wealthy. But, but you have resources. You may not feel like you have a lot of resources. But the question is, what are you doing with what you have? In the parable of the talents, the master does not give the same amount to each of the servants. And the question is, what have you done with what I've given you? Not who had more to begin with, but what have you done with what I've given you? Our hearts have to be changed. You have to serve God himself. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19 says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Do you see, do you see the parallel here? What Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians is, your very being, your personhood, yourself, your body is also something God has given you to steward. And so if you're squandering it on sexual immorality, he says you're sinning against your very body. You are not your own. And this flies in the face of traditional, everyday American values that preach individualism. You need to be you. You need to be distinct. You need to be focused on yourself. Right? Like if you don't care about yourself first, how are you ever going to care about anybody else? And yet what this says is that your very self your very being, your very body is something that you have been given to steward. And you can decide to either squander it and waste it, or you can choose to steward it to the glory of God. So the question is not so much what do you do. The question is, who is your master? Right? Who are the one, who, who's the one that you're actually serving? And what is your plan to turn over your full allegiance to Christ? 
As we said a few weeks ago, what Jesus wants from us is not just our mental assent. He doesn't want us to just simply believe the right things. He wants there to be a response to that. And it's the response of true faith, which says, Jesus, you are my king. You are my master. You are the father. And everything that I have, everything that I am, actually comes from you. It would be prideful of me to make the claim that anything that I have or anything that I am has come from me somehow. And the scriptures very clearly tell us that it has come from him. The same is true with you. And the question is, who do you serve in light of those things? You, money, other people. Who do you fear? Who are you concerned that you're going to disappoint? A few questions as I close. Are you living as if the stuff that you have is yours? Let's just be honest with ourselves for a moment. Are, are you living as if... Your resources, your money, your things, your home, your cars, even your own family, your children. Are you living as if those things are yours? Or are you living as if those things are incredible gifts that have been given to you by the Father to steward for his glory? Who is your real master? Who are the masters that are tempting you? Like, who are the masters that are trying to draw your allegiance away from the Father? What are the ones that seem the most appealing? What are the ones that seem the most tempting? Guys, for so many people, it is money, right? If only we had a little bit more. So, so what is... What is your plan for like learning and listening? So, so if, if the things that you have are not yours and if you've been called to steward them for the glory of God, then, then how are you intentionally seeking to learn what his will is by listening to him? Like where's the space in your day where you're actually sitting before him and saying, here's what you've given me, Father. What is it that you would have me do with these things? What is it that you would have me do with these resources? And on a practical level, when you look at your spending, when, when you look at the way that you utilize the things that you have, like to think in even just percentages for a moment, what percentage of those things are, are for you? And what percentage of those things are for others? What percentage of those things are available What's your plan for learning and listening, asking, Father, what is it that you would have me do? And then what is your plan to invest those things in the way that he's called you to? Man, I'm, I'm becoming like more aware than probably ever before in my life that if, if, I, if I don't have even multiple daily times with the Father, 
that, that I will suddenly kind of like come to and, and find myself like out in the middle of the desert somewhere. Like, like I'll kind of wake up and go, man, how did I get way out here? Where suddenly I'm worried about all these things or anxious about this or I'm, I'm focused on this over here which has nothing to do with anything or it has everything to do with me. Like if I'm not cultivating and carving out daily time with Jesus, reading the scriptures, learning who he is and what he desires and what he loves and how he thinks and how he makes decisions and what he's called me to, sitting before him in prayer, even praying the Lord's Prayer multiple times each day, reflecting on the truths that we find in this prayer. Right? And how does it begin? Our Father in Heaven, right? It, it's all about Him. It's not about you, right? This is the world He created. It's not the world I created. This is the life He created. It's not the life I created. The same is true for you and the things that you have. Guys, I, I, I can't encourage you enough to like literally intentionally like take your phone and calendar it out like times daily where you're saying hey I'm going to open the scriptures and I'm going to spend time in prayer and I'm going to sit and seek to listen to the spirit of God and say I may not have a lot there are plenty of other people that have more than I have, more money, more stuff, more resources, more space in their home, whatever the case may be. But, but, but what have you called me to do with what I have? Right? So with those things in mind, let us pray together tonight to that end. That Jesus would teach us, that he would speak to us, that we would intentionally carve out space in our life to listen to his will and to be obedient to it. Father, we thank you for the truth of your scriptures. Sometimes we read the teaching of Jesus and we come away confused or we say to ourselves, I'm not really sure what he means there. But then there are times, Father, where he is abundantly clear we cannot serve you and also serve another master. And yet, Father, our world is filled with other masters. Our world is filled with other pathways that seem like better pathways. Your teaching tells us that the true path is, is like narrow. The, the real gate we should go through is narrow. It's maybe not the one that we in our sin would just naturally choose to walk through. It's not maybe the one that seems like the right road to go down. And yet it is the true one. Father, may we intentionally create space in the busyness of our lives to sit with you so that we might see and know the truth. So that we might ha have eyes to see the true path. A path that is not about the accumulation of more and more and more. 
but is instead about stewarding the things that you've given us for your glory. Father, if you were to take an account of our lives right now and the things that you've given us, the resources that you've blessed us with and the returns that we're seeing on those investments, I wonder, I wonder what you would find. Help us to have eyes to see the other masters that are pulling us away from you. And Father, may we devote ourselves even more fully to being your disciples, living lives of obedience to you under the truth of your gospel. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.